0: I will go ahead and pray as we begin this afternoon, and then we can jump into the Gospel of Mark. Thank you again, uh, Father, for this opportunity to look into the Gospels. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And may we be able to um, read well and receive this Word. Help us to take it seriously to let it challenge us. Uh, Help us if we have heard these words perhaps many times before to hear them somehow for the first time um, this afternoon. Work around my own weaknesses and failings. I pray and bless these friends uh, according to your grace and goodness. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so uh, today, in the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is, is look at sort of the really the first half of the story, as it were, um, in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. Um, and by the first half of the story, I mean largely up to, um, to the feeding of the 5,000 episode is probably about where we're getting to um, today, and we'll kind of work in that, in that period um, in these three Gospels and see what kinds of questions that it raises. But but along the way, I hope we can also just get that sense of flying over the story and, and um, getting a sense for it. Um, as I've suggested, In previous weeks, I think Mark is telling us the story sort of from the perspective of the disciples. We jump right into the adult version of the story, no birth narratives, very little on John the Baptist. And by verse 14, 15 in chapter one, you're right on into the story of walking with Jesus and and sort of seeing it from the standpoint of the disciples. Um, So what I wanna do is just jump into that story and kind of uh, look at it in a sort of a flyover um, but as we do that, I, I just ask you to sort of try to read it, as I say, really for the first time. In a sense, my my sense is that is that you are familiar with these gospels, um, and so they sometimes become too familiar. So try to hear this for the first time. I, I remember a study we had here years ago that uh, a young woman connected with us was leading, and um, it was really a study for people who, who didn't know this story at all. And they were going through the Gospel of John, and several weeks in, one of the students said to her, I, I have a bad feeling about this. I don't think it's going to turn out well, the, the story of Jesus. Um, and, and it was one of those fresh insights to this story. Um, and so, so it is, it takes a little effort sometimes to say, okay, let, let me hear this story for the first time. And, and, and I'll ask you, You know, so what strikes you most as you hear Mark's account? What picture of Jesus does he give you? What surprises are there? What, what strikes you that you would not have thought would have been the case? How does the narrative develop? Okay, so let's just kind of look through it. Um, we can't read it verse, verse by verse, but I want to just kind of take our time. Uh, we've got the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 1, the Son of God. That's how Jesus is introduced. We have uh, John the Baptist then and Jesus baptized and off into the wilderness. Um And then in verse 14, after John's been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. You have then this episode of him calling Simon and Andrew and then James and John, and they leave their boats and follow Jesus. Then there's this day in Capernaum that we talked about last week. Um, Jesus is moving into Capernaum. That becomes his base of operations. He enters the synagogue, teaches. They're amazed at his teaching, for he teaches as one having authority. And then he starts working these miraculous works. The man with an unclean spirit is there. He cries out, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebukes him and casts him out. Verse 27, everyone is amazed, so they debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And news immediately starts spreading about him. Apparently in that same... Evening, He goes into the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. He touches her and heals her, raises her up, and then others start coming. And in verse 34, he heals many who were ill with various diseases, casts out demons, but he's not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And Jesus seems typically to, to want to control that distribution of that understanding. Early in the morning in verse 35, while it's still dark, Jesus arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. Simon and his companions hunted for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. One specific occasion here is this leper who comes to him. If you are willing, you can make me clean and moved with compassion. Jesus touches him and heals him and he's cleansed. In verse 44 of chapter one, Jesus says to the man, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for a testimony to them. Which is very interesting. This is if there was an uncleanness in the camp in, in, among the people in Israel um, and they were cleansed somehow and they recovered, they needed to get sort of the approval of the priests. And, and so there is this ritual. And and Jesus tells this man in obedience to the law, go and show yourself to the priests and offer the little sacrifice, the gift that's that's required. But it's interesting he says, for a testimony to them that Jesus had done this work. The man goes out and does what often seems to have been the case, he spreads the news. And the news is going out to such an extent that Jesus can hardly enter a city but stays out in unpopulated areas and people were coming to him. In chapter two, he comes back to Capernaum. And again, many people are gathered. And so much so that some friends who have a paralytic friend whom they would love to see healed have to drop him through the ceiling, through the roof. They do that. In verse 5, Jesus, seeing their faith, says to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Probably a young man, maybe even a child, it's likely here. And it's interesting that Jesus responds to the faith of those who bring him. And then, instead of healing him, forgives his sins. The scribes are there, and in verse 7, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus, perceiving that they are reasoning this way, says, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Then he asks them this question, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. In case you're wondering, what's easier to say is your sins are forgiven. The reason that's easier is because there's there's nothing anybody can do to prove it one way or the other. So it's easy to say that. But if you say take up your pallet and walk, then you got the question whether the guy is healed and can in fact take up his pallet and walk. So he then says, um, verse 10, But in order that you may know that the Son of Man does have authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say, rise take up your pallet and go home and he rose and exited and they were all amazed and glorified God saying we have never seen anything like this then you have the calling of another disciple Levi otherwise known as Matthew a tax gatherer and in verse 15 Jesus joins Levi and his sinful friends at dinner scribes and pharisees not happy about this kind of thing verse 16 why is he eating and drinking with these people jesus said it's not the healthy you need a physician but those who are sick i didn't come to call the righteous but sinners and then two questions one about fasting john's disciples and the pharisees are fasting why aren't your disciples fasting and jesus answers that while the bridegroom is with them The attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, but the day will come when it's time to fast again. And a similar question about the Sabbath in verse 23. They're passing through the grain fields. They take some grain Pharisees once again. This is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And then verse 27. After Jesus cites David's example, he says "Um, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Just a couple of things. Um, the Son of Man uh, line is is something Mark uses to identify Jesus and has Jesus identifying himself that way. Uh, verse 27 is one of the few bits that is unique to Mark. You won't find that particular line in the other Gospels. Um, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Uh, so there are these occasional bits of Mark um, and some details um, that are unique to Mark. In chapter 3 then, he goes into the synagogue, and again it's a Sabbath issue. They're watching him in verse 2 to see if he'll heal on the Sabbath. And he asks in verse 4, so is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? They kept silent. And verse 55 is another one of these little details. Um, He looked around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. This episode occurs in other Gospels, but that that sense that he is angry uh, is unique to Mark here. For those of you who have followed the... um, the newsletters and stuff that I did, my initial response, actually, it was a Monday morning kind of little pastoral note, was from that specific verse that Jesus looked around with anger. And, and, and in that little piece, what I was saying was, it's interesting that Jesus' response to being angry about the ways the world is and, and what's wrong with it is to heal. And there are other things he does There are things he says, and of course we all know he did what he did in the temple finally at one point, overturning changing tables and all, the money changing tables. Um, But that was not his normal response. And it's interesting that Mark has as an expression of anger at the brokenness and and what's wrong in this world, that he says, "I, I will heal. And, and brings this healing. Um, and he does it not just in this physical case, but he does it with people like Levi and his sinful friends as well. Um, verse seven, he withdraws to the sea um, <coughs> of Galilee with his disciples. Multitudes are continuing to follow, coming from Jerusalem and from the various areas around. Um, from the south up into the north, Tyre and Sidon would be pretty far north and west over by the coast. Um, Great multitudes are coming, and he starts this practice of getting in a boat and sitting 15 feet offshore in order to be able to uh, teach. He continues to heal the unclean spirits in verse 11, behold him, declaring him to be the Son of God, and he continues to tell them not to identify him. Then he he goes up on a mountain um, and appoints the twelve among those who have started to follow him. And he gives, he sends them, he, I'm sorry, appoints them to send them out to preach, gives them authority to cast out demons and to heal. Um, And then in verse 20, he came home and the multitude gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own um, kinfolk, probably, family, neighbors, kinfolk heard, they went out to take custody of him. They were saying, he's crazy he's lost his mind meanwhile the scribes come down from Jerusalem saying he's possessed by Beelzebub he casts out demons by the ruler of demons So there's this question about who is he how do we make sense of this guy he calls them to himself and begins to speak in parables stories, figures Um, how can Satan cast out Satan this is not Satan at work this is me binding up the strong man and plundering his home. Truly, I say to you, verse 28, so all sins will be forgiven for the sons to the, um, forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will have no forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, people struggle over that. I struggle over that. Um, I, I'll tell you, I take him to mean... I'll put it this way, you can say whatever you wanna say about me, (laughs) Uh, don't you dare say the wrong thing about my wife. Um, Honestly, as we raised our kids and there was an issue of some attitude that wasn't quite right at the dinner table from one of the kids toward their mom, my word to them was not don't treat your mother that way. My word to them was don't you treat my wife that way and to me those are two different things and i think this is jesus saying you can say what you want about me you can do what you want to me but don't you dare say that stuff about the holy spirit and and he says it within no uncertain terms so i i think it's that kind of a thing i don't know whether you buy that or not but i but that's my sense for what he's what he's doing at that point um and then his mother and brother come and say look if we want to take him and he says he says who are my mother and my brothers? Verse 33, looking around at those who were seated around him. Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Chapter four, he continues to teach. And here is where we get several parables. Sort of think of parables as extended images. Sometimes they take the form of a little bit of a story, but they don't necessarily just really creative imagery and you have the sower that goes out to sow and various and the seed falls in various sorts of soil verse 9 let he who has ears to hear let him hear his followers ask him about the parables verse 13 though he says to his disciples do you not understand this parable how will you understand all the parables And then he tells them about the sower who's sowing the word. And he explains the parable. Um, In verse 26, he continues with parables. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed on the ground. Goes to bed at night, gets up by day, the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself doesn't know. The earth produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. And when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Now what parable shall we present it? It's like, it's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground, though it is the smaller of all the seeds that are upon the ground, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms branches so that the birds of the air can nest in its shade. And with such parables, he was speaking the word to them as they were able to hear it. He was not speaking to them without parables, and he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Um, I, I love I, I, this picture of Jesus as a teacher. Have you gotten too used to it? Uh, you know, um One of the other things that's come up is is the idea that Jesus is our example. And so that includes things like what it would mean to just accept those greatest commandments. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind? What would it mean for Jesus to do that? What did it mean for Jesus specifically to love the Lord his God with all of his mind? And, And I've suggested to you on other occasions, that, that one, one of the things this means is that there is this way of being in the world that is perceptive, observant. His senses are aware, his eyes are open, his ears are open, he's, he's catching the aromas, he's seeing, he, he's, he's present, he's observant and he's reflective, he's thoughtful, and he's imaginative and creative and he's engaged with people around him so it's also what does it mean to love your neighbor well and so you get this imagery of jesus and 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 they're out and they're walking down a dusty road somewhere and there's a crowd following him and gathering and trying to get around him and hear what he's saying and and he's saying kingdom of heaven is like and there's farmers in this field, and it's, it's like the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. It's thrown into the ground, and it takes root and it grows up. and And each night, the farmer's in bed, sound asleep. He doesn't even know how this happens himself. And it grows, and it bears fruit, and the harvest time comes. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And and I love this picture. It's like you know, kingdom of heaven is like a flower the kingdom of heaven is like the birds that just flew by the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and in this case it's it grows and its branches give security and protection and shade to the birds that's the kingdom of heaven is that kind of living thing that gives safety and care and protection and shade um, it's really quite remarkable. I have a friend um, who is, is really a gifted teacher and um, uh, now a regent. Um, and years ago, I think Steve um, made a very deliberate commitment that he was going to teach like Jesus. And he does. And he will drive you crazy. It'll drive me crazy because I, don't, I can't do this. I'll just admit it. I can't do that. I have no ability to come up with a simile or imagery or anything like that. So I just have to kind of analyze, and, and you go do what you can with it. But, but you know, he, he just decided this is the way to teach. So he tells stories, and he stands up in front of a group, and he'll tell three to five-minute stories over and over and over. And then you get to Q&A, and that's when the fun really happens, because all of us want to ask Steve questions, and he just won't go there. It's like, I told you the story, you go figure out what you got to do with it. And you know what? He's kind of right. Jesus just does this all the time. And you just get this image of him telling a story, showing a, you know, a little parable. It takes all of two minutes. And he starts walking down the street. And you can just kind of see people go, wait, wait, whoa, what? What did he say? What did he say? Where do, how about, what am I supposed to do with that? and Jesus is walking down the street. It's, it's really quite remarkable. I mean, this is what I mean, reading this for the first time, Horner can't do this, and Horner will talk for hours and not begin to do in hours what Jesus does in two minutes. We are still talking about this guy 2,000 years later, and one major reason, not the only one, but one major reason is, he is in a category of teachers in human history that you can probably name on the fingers of one hand, for being just the most remarkably skilled teacher, who made, who just got people thinking. Uh, this, so here he is, and and this is how he did it. Verse thirty-five. Then, um, let's go over to the other side of the sea. They get in the boat. There's a serious wind. Um, they're all scared to death. Um, verse 40 he, he rebukes the wind that dies down verse 40 why are you so timothy says to them do you have no faith and he became very much afraid uh, uh, these these are remarkable moments it's like peter with that big catch of fish his, his response is to be scared and here it is they're now finally safe and now they're really scared they thought they were scared when they were in the storm now the storm has been calmed, and now they're really scared. Um, I don't know whether you've ever had moments in your life where you wish Jesus would be more present, you know, and, and, and you just want you want God to be right here with you and, you know, kind of sitting next to you like you two are, and, and then everything would be good. Yeah, <laughs> be careful what you ask for. I remember in college once, I was in some distress over life and how awful it had become and unfair it was, and... It probably had to do with some woman that was not responding to me the way in God's will. I'm sure she should have. But at any rate, you know, I was distraught. And I'm standing out in front of this house where I live, and the wind's kind of blowing and a little bit of rain. And, you know, it's one of those great nights for mood. And, and all of a sudden, the wind catches this old apple tree in our front yard, this old kind of crab apple tree. And it just ground those two trunks against each other. And it made a sound that I can't begin to duplicate right here but my word it scared me to death I just felt the chill go right down my back and I just kind of whoa and went back inside and all it was was the wind in an apple tree and I'm asking God to show up I mean this is this is a little bit of it the power of God in this moment and you thought you were scared in the storm and now God's present in his power now now you are scared who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him goodness then you have this uh confrontation with this dear soul who's just tormented by numerous demons it just is their name is legion for we are many we're told in verse 9 They are actually negotiating with Jesus, which is weird. And he says, okay, you want to go into the herd of pigs? Do it. Because these people are not supposed to be doing this kind of thing. And he is delivered. The pigs run into the sea. And the people in that area are going, I'm not sure we want this guy to stick around. Yeah.
1: So Cora and I were talking about earlier and I think I never realized that there were two thousand pigs.
0: That was way I always glanced over. So does that mean there were like that many demons inside the sky? Um I wouldn't push that too hard, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of demons and a lot of pigs. Yeah. And and very troubling. I Yeah, Jesus's spiritual engagement with spiritual powers is a central piece of this narrative, isn't it? Um, Just to push on in to finish out the the fifth and sixth chapters. um, They come back, and one of the synagogue officials named Jairus comes up and seeking him, um, falls at his feet, my little daughter's the point of death. They head off to Jairus' home, a woman who has had a, a bleeding issue, a hemorrhage for 12 years, is in the crowd and just knows if she can only touch him, she will be well. She does that. He knows that someone has touched his garment. Verse 31, and his disciples said to him, you see the multitude pressing in on you. You say, who touched me? And it's incidentally, there are moments like this, that reference to his disciples' that's the way mark tells it it's not exactly that way in matthew and luke um but that there are these little little details like that that are kind of interesting that the disciples are in view um he he reassures this woman and then finds out that the little girl has died and they say why trouble the teacher anymore but jesus says do not be afraid only believe and they go to the home and he works through the laughter and the Ridicule and goes in with just a couple of his disciples and the parents. And raises this little girl up. And of course in verse 42 they are completely astounded. Um, In chapter 6 then, this is the last one we'll look at. Um, He's teaching and he goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. He's teaching and Mark puts this, an episode like this here. Um, You remember there was an episode like this in Luke in chapter uh, four, um, before Jesus moved to Capernaum. Now there is this episode. Um, It would seem to be two different episodes. The responses are very similar. Who is this? Where did he get this kind of thing? And he wonders at their unbelief. And then he sends out the 12 in verse 7, giving them authority over unclean spirits, telling them how to go out on the trip. In verse 12, they go out preaching repentance, casting out demons and healing the sick. It's at this point that Mark inserts the bit about John the Baptist and Herod's response to what he hears about Jesus. Um, King Herod hears... Um, and, and I think what he hears is, is what's going on with Jesus. Jesus has become well known. And some people were saying that John the Baptist had risen from the dead. They're saying various things, but Herod said, yeah, I, I think this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. I killed him and I think he's been raised from the dead. And then you have the story of the death of John inserted here. Where in the actual flow of events that happens is very hard to say. Um, But it's recorded at this point by Mark. And then you sort of pick up the narrative again in verse 30. The apostles return and gather together with Jesus. They report what they've done. And then he invites them to get away for a while. Um, The multitudes are so great. They hardly have time to eat. They go off to a lonely place. But people see them heading off and they follow them. And so, in verse 35, there's a great multitude. He feels compassion for them. They're like sheep without a shepherd, and he begins to teach them many things. But now it's getting late. Nobody's got any food. He tells his disciples to give them something to eat, and they go, what? We got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus works this miracle of the loaves and the fish and feeds thousands they then um go back across the sea this time he comes walking on the water to them um verse 50 they are once again frightened he says take courage it is i he gets into the boat and they get over to the other side verse 51 he gets into the boat and the wind stopped and they were greatly astonished for they had not gained any insight from this episode of the loaves their hearts were hardened and then it continues with the crowds coming and more healing of the sick And multitudes following him. I'll well, stop at that point. Um, and, and I'd be interested in sort of some of your general responses. What, what particularly strikes you about what you just heard? What do you find most striking about the narrative, or about the person of Jesus? If you were hearing all that for the very first time, you knew nothing about this. What would you be sitting here thinking right now? Whoa. What? Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. I, would be, I would be like, why is he telling me the answer? I want to know what he's meaning. Why isn't he telling you the answer?
1: Why yeah. the disciples get to know? If I was one of the people not a disciple, I would be like, I want to know what they're knowing. I want to be with Jesus.
0: Uh huh. So you want you want to know what he's telling them in private? You mean that kind of thing? Uh-huh. <laughs> Interesting. And when you say whoa, you want to unpack that for us a little bit? <laughs>
1: would immediately be if everybody saw you right now doing this, like like why why just the disciples kind of similar to, to what Giuliano mm-hmm. was saying. Um, and so I think i am like kind of thinking about that relationship specifically that he had with the twelve and and more his like his pers- his like intimacy with them and how personal his relationships were with, with the 12, even to the point where he knew, like, Peter's mother, um, or his mother-in-law was ill, and went and served him in, like, these very small ways that it's not like he's, it's these, like, yeah, like, these grand acts, but also these, like, really small acts of service towards those that he loves, um, so, yeah,
0: Mm-hmm. interesting that you both pick up on, on a, a, a sort of special relationship with that group that small group of followers huh? the, yeah the, the, the use of parables is interesting it seems to sort of cut both ways on the one hand it makes clear things that Jesus wants to communicate to those who see it clearly, and it makes obscure to those who who will not see. It, it's it's a striking thing. Um. Yeah. Other thoughts. What what strikes you, just in, in reading this much? Yes, in the back row. Do you see that in the six chapters we just looked at? Yeah. What would be an example of that?
1: just believe. He's he's getting at the fact that they're actually terrified and that they don't have any
0: faith that this could turn out any different, so why talk to him? And he sees that and answers that instead. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Does he strike you as a teacher in the six chapters we just looked at what 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 is he primarily in what we just read
1: Explain whereas Jesus teaches by his the way he lives his life, um, uh-huh. the
0: stories that he tells. I yes, I mean, you go through, um, chapter one, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There, that's a pretty long sermon. Um, we're told that he's teaching in the synagogue sometimes no, no teaching in chapter 1 the exchange about forgiveness in chapter 2 um, comments on fasting and Sabbath but um, I'm not sure where they were getting him as a teacher exactly there Um, the comments about blasphemy, a few verses. Chapter 4, you finally get him teaching, and it's parables. And you get like three main parables. And incidentally, the one that I read, verses 26 to 29 in chapter 4, is unique to Mark. There's one a little bit like it in Matthew, but it's not the same. Um... And no more teaching there. Chapter 5. No teaching there. Gerasim. No teaching with Jairus. Um, Verse 2, chapter 6. He was teaching in the synagogue, but we don't have anything as to what he actually said. Herod. The apostles teach. Feeding of the 5,000. We know he's teaching, but we don't have a word of his teaching. Uh, This is, I mean, this is where this looking at the Gospels is interesting. There's very little by way of words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark's Gospel. And in these six chapters, you just saw. So what have we got? He's, Communicating isn't he? It's in these little pithy images and statements, but for the most part, you get miracles. You get the most extraordinary acts of of an engagement that is ultimately him and the spiritual powers of darkness. It's as much casting out demons as it is healing the sick. And sometimes those two things are are pretty much inseparable, Um, but but they are distinct. Um, He calms the waves and the wind more than once. He demonstrates his power over nature. Um, Sorry. Um, But it is particularly that engagement with sin that he forgives, with death, where he even raises someone from the dead, with illness, which is one of the results of the brokenness of this world, and with demons themselves. This, this, is, a, this is a wild story. It, don't, don't underestimate how how extraordinary these claims are and 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 what a what a remarkable picture of jesus we've got here and and so then yeah come alongside in that role as a disciple and go wow what was this like and and it's interesting that we get a couple of places here um, in chapter at the end of chapter five we had it um Uh, on the disciples chapter 4 13 when he's doing the teaching in the parables you get that that picture of them um kind of scratching their heads verse 13 of chapter 4 and he said to them do you not understand this parable after just saying i'm teaching you these things because you do get them And then they go, no, we don't. No, we don't. We really don't. Help us out here. And you say, really? You don't, you don't understand? No, we don't. And then at the end of chapter 5, uh, same kind of thing. Where are we? Um, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 6. Um, after the feeding of the 5,000, they just didn't, weren't gaining insight. Their hearts were hardened. They weren't getting it. They're they're just their minds are boggled right now and and quite understandably so. You know, we saw last week that there is a sort of a process of becoming a disciple. There is definitely a process in being one. (laughs) And trying to grapple with who is this? Who is this that raises the dead? Who is this that talks to demons this way? Who is this that heals the sick? Who is this that tells the waves what to do and controls the movements of the fish? Who is this? It's, it's really quite remarkable um, what they are going through. Um, and I do think you get this. Uh, um, this uh, uh, sorry that I didn't bring my watch or my hearing aid. So I'm trying to figure out what time it is. Um, you, you get this picture that this is, this is sort of the, the walking with Jesus um, and, and uh, being a disciple with him. I want to conclude by giving you um, a second version of what I've already given you. That first one gives you the story of Mark and the preparatory for you to use whatever you want to extend you want it right there. Um, And and we've got just a minute or two, but I want to just now kind of create the problem, if you will. Mark has just given us the basic story. Matthew now comes along and you'll find some several similar elements as far as episodes in the story. But uh, it's confusing. If you start on that right column, first of all, we've got in Matthew, and I wish we had time to look at it a little bit, but chapters 1 to 4, kind of get you started. By verse 17, I think you've got John imprisoned, and so now um, you've got that invitation to the four disciples, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And then that's followed by the Sermon on the Mount, that, Mark, that Matthew gives us, which is chapters five to seven. And then picking up in the first verse of chapter eight, you have the healing of the leper in the right column. And if you go over and down one line, you'll see a healing of the leper. So that lines up and you might wanna draw some lines. Now the Centurion episode, is not in Mark. It's in Luke in that gap there on the left column where I've got Luke in the the block. So you sort of take that centurion thing and you go right in there. It's in chapter seven of Luke. The move to Capernaum then happens in Matthew and that happens back up a little bit over in Mark. So you kind of go back up a bit. The comment about the birds and the foxes Isn't in Mark and it doesn't show up in Luke until very late in the book um, after Peter's profession. So that one's actually off the page at the bottom. I'm not even sure I want to try to draw a line, but it's off the page at the bottom. The storm at sea in the right column is about halfway down on the left column. Chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. So you've got a line going down and across. And then the gathering demoniac follows. And then the paralytic, ah, well, no, that's back up at the beginning in Mark. So you go over and up to get there in Mark. Calling Matthew, eating with the sinners, questions about fasting, that's all up and to the left. Jairus' daughter happens down here after they get back and cross the sea, so you've got to go down and to the left. The woman with bleeding is part of that same episode, so it would seem to all be the same thing. It's not like there's two, two of the same. Blind men are healed, and that is either not in the other Gospels at all, or it's in Luke late in the story. Same with the dumb person being healed. The accusation of the Pharisees is just to cross and down a little bit, the Beelzebub accusation. In Mark, we have a calling of the 12 back in chapter 3 and a sending of the 12 in chapter 6. Matthew combines all that into a single chapter, basically chapter 10, from the end of 9 to the beginning of 11, where he does the calling, the teaching, the sending of the 12. We get to John's question, and you go over and up a little bit. Um, or no, I'm sorry, you go up into, into Luke. It's not in Mark. So John's question is going to be up in that section of Luke. It's going to be in um, chapter 7 of Luke. The reproach and blessing then um, is, I believe, uh, that's in the second half of Luke. So that goes down and off the page question about the sabbath is way up there on the left in chapter two of mark isaiah 42 i don't think is in the other gospels the blind and the dumb healed i think that's in chapter 11 of luke so that's also down and off the page um you you know you get the idea i i won't do do more um but if you, if you try to connect them, you end up with something that kind of looks like this with, with lines going all over the place because they're telling things in a very different order and, and in a very different picture. Um, it is interesting down at the bottom, about seven lines, all straight lines across and all of a sudden Matthew and Mark are doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same order. So your question for a week from today is to figure out what in the world's going on. What, uh, yeah, that is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Um, What's going on there? And in order to figure that out, we'll spend a little time looking at Matthew, but we've got an interesting answer to the question of why are there four gospels? And, one obvious place to go to try to get some help as to what's going on between Mark and Matthew is Luke and John. They might have some insight that would help us sort this out. And I will suggest that I think Luke turns out to be helpful at this point. So we will look at Matthew a little bit and then we'll go on into Luke and see what it can teach us. But let it start by reading Matthew carefully, okay? Try to read Matthew and at least the at least the first 10 chapters of Matthew. And just kind of do with Matthew what we did with Mark today. What's really distinctive about it? How does Matthew present this material? What can you discern just from from reading that gospel itself? And then we'll put the other gospels alongside of it, and that will help us answer that question as well.
1: All right.